Well, good morning. Thank you for listening to our program again today, and we're going to continue a message that we began last time in Matthew 26, uh, looking at Jesus in the garden, and we call this message Grief in Gethsemane. And So let me read our passage for today and do a little bit of review and then get back to where we were, where we left off last time. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And so last time we were together, we we began looking at this great battle where Jesus gets on his knees, prostrates himself before the Lord, and prays, submitting his life to the will of the Father. And we began to look at three displays of the humanity of Christ, and we spent a lot of time looking at the incredible sorrow of Christ, the incredible sorrow of Christ, that Jesus goes to a garden and he is in agony. The Bible says he was sorrowful, Uh, and deeply distressed, or grieved and distressed. And we talked about that, uh, that he was grieved, he was sorrowful, he was pained, he was depressed and dejected and full of anguish and sorrow. And he goes and he prays, and he keeps praying the same thing over and over, um, and asking his three closest disciples to be near him. And so then we really looked at that prayer, the intense supplication of Christ, as he prays the same thing over and over, as he desires those three disciples to stay awake with him, to keep watch uh, as he prays, as he is praying a prayer that only he could pray. We see the great distress in this prayer as as Luke says that his, his sweat was like drops of blood. Again, he is in great agony, but he is submitting his life to the will of the Father, he knows that this is the only way that the Father can redeem sinful humanity. And so he is voluntarily giving up his life to do what the Father has called him to do. And so the last time we left off with Jesus coming in verse 40 and saying to Peter um, this very thing in that we see in verse 40 as he's found them sleeping. And we talked about why does he only address Peter here, because James and John were sleeping too. Why does he only point out Peter? And I read 
from verses 31 to 35, and would love to look at those again with you. Then Peter said to them, then, excuse me, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Peter says here, Lord, I will die with you. I will never fall away from you. I will never deny you, but I may fall asleep on you when you need me the most. Jesus addressed Peter, but he spoke to all three men. The verb is plural here in the Greek. It's why the word men here is added when he says to them in verse 40, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. And then he commands them in verse 41, keep watching and praying. Two commands here, present imperatives, which I would just say that's pointing to continuing action. So Jesus is saying to them, be praying and be watching. Why, verse 41, that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Well, Jesus understood this very well. Isaiah says in his prophecy of the Messiah to come, describing him in Isaiah 53, verse 3, as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 2.18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And as we see in the verses that precede our text, the faith of the disciples was insufficient. The disciples were failing and the flesh was prevailing. One more time from Leon Morris, he says, just at the time when Jesus was showing the victory of spirit over flesh, the disciples were manifesting the victory of flesh over spirit. Jesus, knowing well the weakness of the flesh, returns to supplication the second time he goes before the Father. And we read in verse 42 that he went away and a, a second time and prayed. He continues in prayer. Previously in verse 39, we saw two petitions let this cup pass from me, and not my will, but your will be done. But now Jesus offers only one petition. Verse 42, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. I want you to see what is not seen here in the text. Did you get that? I want you to see something that is not in the text. There is no reference here to the will of Christ. No mention of my will. Here is Christ's recognition that the drinking of the cup is indeed the will of the Father. Jesus says, in essence, if there is no other way, if this is the only way to satisfy your divine wrath, if this is the only way to save sinners from eternal condemnation, your will be done. 
Hebrews 5.8 gives some great insight to this. It says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Christ recognized through his overwhelming sorrow and in this sincere and persistent supplication that this was indeed the will of the Father. He sorrowed exceedingly. He suffered greatly. But in this suffering, Jesus came to a full comprehension and submission to the Father that this was the only way that God could redeem sinful humanity. Well, in verse 43, he finds them sleeping again for their eyes were heavy. I wonder, as you're listening today, have you ever fallen asleep praying? (laughs) Well, that's what happens when you try to pray in bed uh, while you're lying down or with the covers pulled over you, maybe with an electric or a weighted blanket. The disciples fell asleep praying, and Matthew records no conversation here between Jesus and them. In Mark's gospel, we read in Mark 14, 40, and again he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know how to answer him. We are not sure what Jesus said to them at this point. We really do not know if he spoke to them at all. I wonder, did he just simply look at them in sadness and despair, causing them to remain silent? Matthew does tell us what Jesus did next. Verse 44 And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Jesus prayed a third time, saying the same thing. And of the synoptic gospels between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only Matthew tells us that Jesus prayed a third time. He prayed what he had just prayed before. My father, if this is the only way, your will be done. Again, submitting his life to the will of the Father. And if there's one thing you can take away from this today, I would want you to get what I'm about to say next. Listen to this. The disciples were sorrowful and they slept. Jesus was sorrowful and he prayed. And those of us that are listening today who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, we would call ourselves Christians or little Christs. And we are striving to be more like Christ. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. But too often when we face trials and difficulties, when we are overcome with anguish and grief, when we are experiencing sorrow and loss, we are more like the disciples than we are like Christ. Well, in examining the humanity of the second person of the Trinity, we see the sorrow of Christ Secondly, we see the supplication of Christ. And then thirdly, we see the third manifestation of his humanity, the immaculate strength of Christ. Look at verses 45 and 46. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Jesus prayed that there might be another way apart from the cross, but the Father remained silent, and so Jesus willingly received the assignment from the Father. He knew this day would one day come. He had come to earth for this very moment to lay down his life as a sacrifice that we might live forever. 
Remember what Matthew told us about Jesus in Matthew 16, 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Remember the words of Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. In John verse, chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In John 10, 17 to 18, therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. Jesus came to earth. We just recently celebrated his birth at Christmas. We understand that he was born to die that we might live. And Jesus manifested great strength as the multitude came to arrest him. I don't believe it was supernatural strength here, not miraculous strength, but human strength. However, it was a human strength like no other human had ever possessed. It was a human strength that was unstained by sin. It was perfect, immaculate strength. Look at verse 45. Behold, the hours at hand and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus did not say, run for your lives, retreat to the upper room, or off with their heads. <laughs> Peter was on his own on that one. No, that's not what he does. Instead, he said in verse 46, get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. This was not a call to run away. It was a call to obedience to the Father. Jesus had fought the battle, and he, as he spent the time of waiting for the moment ordained before the foundation of the world to take place, by spending it in supplication and in fervent prayer, and now the predetermined plans of a holy and sovereign God would take their course. Peter did not understand this at the time. John tells us that it was Peter who drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. I'd just like to note that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not identify the disciple who did this, but John does. It is also John who will later tell us that after Jesus raised from the dead and the tomb was empty, that he was the one who outran Peter to the empty tomb. I love John. Peter did not understand what was happening in real time, but later at Pentecost, he would understand. And he would preach in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 23, Jesus the Nazarene, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus doesn't fight here. The only fight he fought had already taken place on his knees and on his face. He recognized that this was the only way, and he submitted himself to the will of the Father. He won the battle over temptation, and now he would go to the cross. I want you to look a little closer at his strength here and by dropping down to verses 50 to 53. And Jesus said to him, being Judas, friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. 
Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? This is amazing, friends. Jesus had at his disposal twelve legions of angels. And a Roman Roman legion was six thousand soldiers. So Jesus tells his friends here, all I have to do is ask, and I will have 72,000 angels at my side instantly. Amazing. In 1958, a man named Ray Overholt wrote a song called 10,000 Angels. And the chorus goes like this. Perhaps you've heard this song, but the chorus says, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. I have often wondered why he did not call his song 72,000 angels, (laughs) but when you try to sing that, it just doesn't flow as well as 10,000 angels, and Christ could have done this with only 10,000 anyway. But this was not God's plan. Verse 54 says, How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way. Jesus showed great strength. He even showed compassion here by healing Malchus and restoring his ear. Peter, a fisherman, not much of a swordsman, I guess, tries to cut off the head of Malchus and misses and cuts off his ear, and Jesus goes and restores the ear of this servant of the high priest. I have often wondered here, like, what was his life like after that, meaning Malchus? How does your life not change after your ear is cut off and someone comes along and picks up your ear and restores it to its place as if nothing had ever happened? Jesus showed great strength when he allowed himself to be taken so that he could fulfill the predetermined plan of a holy God. The strength of Christ. It appeared like weakness to the world. He could have called 72,000 angels, and by doing so, he would have eluded the mocking, the beating, the scourging. He would have escaped the terrible wrath of the Father. He would have saved his own life. But in doing so, our lives would have been lost. Praise God for his obedience. Jesus Christ experienced great grief and exceeding sorrow, so much that when Isaiah prophesied about him, he called him man of sorrows. And you know, and I've probably mentioned on here before that Isaiah wrote 700 years before the coming of Christ. He was a prophet, and he wrote about the coming of the Messiah, the the suffering servant who would come and give his life on the cross that we might be forgiven of our sin. And Isaiah calls him, identifies him as a man of sorrows. But you know what Jesus did? He took that sorrow and that sorrow turned into supplication. As Jesus prayed to the Father over and over, repeating the same thing, Lord, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And that supplication, that prayer time, led to strength There was no other way for God to redeem fallen sinners. This is the way that God would do so. He would send his son, the perfect lamb of God, a lamb without blemish. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And he would have his son come to earth, and Jesus would shed his blood 
so that we might be forgiven. And the only way was for Jesus to suffer and die on a cruel cross. As you read through the Gospels, you see there's times where they try to kill Jesus, they try to stone him, they try to take him to a cliff in Luke 4 and throw him over, and he kind of slips through the crowd. Jesus would die by crucifixion. He would even say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, indicating the type of death that he would die. Jesus came to at a time when the Jews were oppressed by the Romans. They were under Roman rule, and the Jews could not put anyone to death uh, by capital punishment, and so the Romans would have to do that for them. And so Jesus came at this time and would die this type of death that would satisfy a holy God. And when Jesus accepted this assignment, and again, he didn't struggle with it before, he wasn't fighting against the will of God, he was not resisting the will of God, but when that was accepted, when he realized in the garden that there was no other way, when that prayer that Jesus prayed was not answered in the affirmative, when he saw this was the only way, there was not a plan B, we see that Christ was strengthened in his inner man, and he went to the cross willingly, laying down his life for you and for me. Do you see the pattern here in Matthew 26 as we look at this great passage, this great battle of Jesus praying and submitting himself to the Father? He goes from sorrow to supplication to strength. Jesus was overwhelmed with sorrow, with anguish. He was dejected. He was full of grief. But he took that grief and he went to prayer, supplication, calling on the Father. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but yet not as I will, but your will be done. He prayed that prayer three times and and God did not answer in the affirmative. And that led him to strength. He understood this was the only way. And what an example for us to follow as we strive to be more like Christ. I don't know if you set any resolutions for 2023 or if you wrote out some goals, but oh, that we would strive to be more like Christ in this new year. May our sorrows lead us to supplication. And may that supplication, that time and prayer to the Father, lead to great strength, the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, not our own strength, that would enable us to do hard things and persevere in severe trials and tribulations. Again, Jesus tells us, in this world you have tribulation. It's mid-January. Troubles and trials, if they haven't hit you yet, they're right around the corner because we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. And there will be trouble. There will be hardship. There will be disappointment. Let me conclude with this. There once was a preacher who lived many years ago who faced numerous trials throughout his ministry. But he loved and served the Lord Jesus Christ with all of his heart. And once while he was ministering in Asia, he said, We do not want you to be unaware of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. 
He wrote about how he was tormented by a messenger of Satan himself. And like Jesus before him, he pleaded with the Lord three times that the Lord would take it away from him. But like the Father did with the Son, he did not grant him his request. But the Lord did speak to this preacher of God's word, and he said to the Apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And this calls Paul to say in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Beloved, this is where the battle was won. And after this major victory, as Jesus prays on his knees and on his face, Jesus gets up, he allows himself to be arrested, he carried his own cross to Golgotha, he voluntarily and willingly laid down his life for our sins, he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed, that we might be forgiven and have everlasting life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Lord, we have a few more months before we get to Easter and and look at the events that led up to your crucifixion, your death, your burial, and your resurrection. But Lord, how good it is to look at Matthew 26 and think about why Jesus came to earth. Truly, he came and he was born that he might die. Lord, that was his purpose. He came to this earth to live a perfect life, to secure the righteousness that we would need to stand before a holy God. And he would go to the cross willingly to shed his blood that we might be forgiven. Because again, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Thank you for the obedience, for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, for his atonement, for his death in our place, the fact that Jesus Jesus died instead of us that we might be forgiven, that we might be at peace with the Holy God, that we might have eternal life in glory with the triune God. Lord, I pray for everyone listening, either to this radio program or to our podcast, that, Lord, as they face sorrow, and sorrow is coming in this troubled and fallen world, that they would take that sorrow and that would lead to supplication, to prayer, that, Lord, we too, like Jesus, would get on our knees and at times prostrate ourselves and get on our faces and call out to you in our time of sorrow and anguish and distress and grief and call out to you in prayer. And, Lord, no matter how you answer, and you always answer our prayers, either yes or no or wait, when you answer our prayers, Lord, even if it's not the way that we would want, that, God, we would we would trust and rely on the strength of Jesus Christ, that we would all recognize that when we are weak, it is then that we are strong. Thank you for the strength of Christ. Thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit. You have promised to never leave us or forsake us. You are always with us. Your Spirit is near. We have your Word. We have so many tools, Lord, to help us as we strive to be more and more like you. So I pray for 2023 that this would be a life that is surrendered to you, 
that in our sorrow we would pray, and then in our prayers, Lord, we would be strengthened by the Lord himself. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.